0: What's up everybody and welcome back to the Bama Beat podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. I am Brett Hudson joined as always by Clint Lamb. Clint what's going on man? Not much brother what you up to? Oh man I am uh, I am deep deep in this national championship game between Bama and Ohio State. I I did our uh, USA Today Network video breakdown show earlier today with Bill Rabinowitz who's part of the the squad covering the Buckeyes for uh, the Columbus Dispatch, and as is typical for these game preview podcasts lately, I just got done filling out my my notebook and updating the uh, record chases for for Smitty, for Najee Harris and Mac Jones. So we'll get to all of that later on in the show, but I do want to let you know that Wickle's Pickles can provide you pickles, relishes, okras. And much more. Normally, I would suggest them as something you could do for your national championship game gathering. But, you know, gatherings aren't really something we do all that often, if at all, while we're in the midst of a global pandemic. So you can still do a spread for the people who live in your dwelling. I've always wondered if Wickles Okra would fry well. Like, I'm sure the okra itself fries the way it's it's supposed to. But I'm curious if Wickles Okra with the the patented heat that comes with your your wickles I'm curious if that would taste well in a uh in a fried format. Um so if anyone does that let me know but otherwise go to wicklespickles.com to learn more about all of their products. Again, it's a family recipe that is 90 years in the making right here in the state of Alabama. You can find their products in the pickle aisle of your local store. Wickles Pickles, let's get wicked. So, Clint, we'll get to the national championship game momentarily, but I think the, the thing that everyone is still talking about, which uh, happened last night, we're recording this Wednesday morning, Devontae Smith won the Heisman Trophy, the third Heisman winner in the history of Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry. And I, I don't know what to take away from the voting results. It was pretty clearly – Smitty's trophy. So Devontae Smith got 447 first place votes. For comparison, second place Trevor Lawrence got 222. Mac Jones got 138 in third. Total points, Smitty had 1,856 compared to 1,187 from Trevor Lawrence and 1,130 from Mac Jones. So only quick math 57 voting points separated. Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence for er, for second and third. Kyle Trask was was pretty clearly in fourth. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I was if I had a Heisman vote, I'd put Smitty number one, no doubt. Uh, what I did from there would have been kind of tricky. So, I, I think the the voting results kind of mirrored that uh, a little bit. If
1: you had a Heisman ballot, what would you have done? What I actually found interesting about the the voting was. You know, Mac Jones had far and away the most second place votes. So, you know that people you were either going to vote Devonte Smith or Trevor Lawrence. But if you didn't vote for one of those guys to be first, you were not necessarily putting the other one second. If that makes sense, a lot of people were putting Mac Jones second behind both of those guys, uh, which I thought was was fairly interesting. But I, I it, you know. I guess I'm not really surprised at how things shook out. I thought that if Trevor Lawrence did finish in second, I thought that it would be a lot closer of a vote. It'd be a lot more spread out. I thought maybe if Mac Jones You mean closer between him and Smitty or closer between him and third, fourth, and fifth? Uh him between closer between him and Smitty. I thought that if Mac Jones ended up finishing second, that's where you'd see kind of uh, you know, much further down. But with Trevor Lawrence, I thought, you know, if, if he ends up coming in second, my guess would be that there were a lot of people who, you know, were voting for Trevor Lawrence. And that would have made the, the vote closer, if that makes sense. Am I, am I explaining that correctly?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make sure.
1: Yeah. Um. But just, uh, dude, there's no way you're not winning the Heisman with that suit, right? Oh, dude, the
0: the suit should have won the Heisman. Screw Smitty. <laughs> I mean, that the that's your real MVP. Won. Yeah, you you should have had – as soon as he put that suit on, you should have had someone from up in New York fly private to Tuscaloosa and write in Sharpie apostrophe S suit on Smitty's (laughs) Heisman plaque. The Heisman should have gone to his suit, not to Smitty.
1: Well, I think he just locked up the number one overall pick, too. Uh, (laughs) Trevor Lawrence, you know, sorry, uh, you're going to get beat out twice now because there's no way. The the drip was insane. Oh, dude, he
0: was – he was profiling, and 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 that's that's normal for for Smitty. Like the Walk of Champions suits, Smitty is always among the best, if not the best, in in suit game. The man, the man has dressed impeccably for for his entire Alabama career. Nothing but nothing to but respect to Smitty in in that regard. Um, I, I think I, I I agree with you. I, I thought that I thought that Trevor Lawrence would have more love for first place just because the the case for his value well a he's a quarterback so there there's that and he's a quarterback who isn't encumbered by other heisman trophy finalists on his same team like Devontae and, and Najee were for for mac but the the case for trevor's value was very easy to make in that basically you can narrow it down to the two games against notre dame and absolutely and, Heisman voters didn't have the the semifinal at their um, at their use. The uh, the ballots were already cast by the time the semifinal happened, so you, you can't take that into consideration for this conversation. But the the two games against Notre Dame pretty much made a, a really good case for for Trevor Lawrence. And and Trevor wasn't the only piece that Clemson was missing in that first Notre Dame game. But Notre Dame wins that first game, forty seven to forty in double overtime and then in the second game with Trevor there at a neutral site, Clemson just dominates. Like there, there was really no shadow of a doubt that Clemson was going to win that game. So the, the case for, for Trevor's value was very obvious. And when you fold in the fact that he is a quarterback, he, he didn't have another Heisman finalist around him. There's also a career achievement um, factor there for, for Trevor that Devontae and really any of the other finalists don't necessarily have. I I think you're right in that. Well, I don't know that you can be right, but I, I also expected Trevor to be closer to Devontae Smith for, for first place. I mean, I'm glad it went this way just because I I thought it was pretty clear that Devontae Smith should have won it. and, And that, that ended up being the, the case. I mean, I'm looking at the voting results right now, um, Trevor Lawrence was in second with 222 first place votes. Mac Jones was in third with 138 first place votes. So second and third combined for 360 first place votes, while Devontae had 447. Um, and,
1: so it was it was pretty clear cut with with the Heisman voters uh, apparently. Yeah, and and see. What I was saying before was not how I would have done it. It's more so what I thought was going to happen. How it, was it done then? Uh, what? How it turned out? Uh, you know, okay. like it. That's. I feel like if you truly watched this season, Devontae Smith was clearing away the best player in the country. Uh, and we talked about that quite a bit yesterday about you know you, you being able to stop a quarterback. Uh, or you, it's a lot more difficult to stop a quarterback from being productive than it is a wide receiver and yet you know even though it is a lot easier to to do things to stop a wide receiver Devonte Smith was still making plays each and every week just about and so this is how I'd hope that it turned out, but I was not expecting it to. Uh, I thought that more people would, like you said, I think you put it perfectly, the Lifetime Achievement Award. I thought that would factor in, and the fact that it's a it's a strange season in receiver quarterback, you know, comparisons, the way that both positions are viewed. It was just I I was worried that you know this. I, I did think that Devonte Smith was going to win it, but uh, I was thinking more along the lines of it, this is probably going to be. If Trevor Lawrence is in second, now I felt like if Mac Jones was ended up edging out Trevor Lawrence, then there were going to be enough people to when comparing Mac Jones to Devonte Smith to say there's a pretty sizable gap there. But with the, you know, going the different route, not going to Alabama route, having guys cancel each other out or however you want to put it. I thought if Trevor Lawrence came in second, it would be a lot, you know, narrower of a gap. And it wasn't. And so I think that the the Heisman voters got it correct. And I can't always say that I've been on board with how things have, have kind of shook out. But even to the, you know, degree that the, the, uh, and, you know, I, I personally would have put Mac Jones at third. Uh, I thought there was a possibility that he could finish second, but I do feel like him comparing him to Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, I think in that ACC championship is really where he differentiated himself. And it's not that Mac Jones couldn't do the exact same thing it's that he didn't have the opportunity to prove it. And that's the key difference. Um. So yeah, I, I this is the one time that I can look at the way that and, and Kyle Trash would have been a distant fourth. There, there's not a doubt in my mind. Uh, yeah. I thought that before. Uh, we saw him with all without all those weapons against Oklahoma. I think he's a great quarterback statistically. Uh, but when when you're trying to when all you're doing is throwing the football, yes, that means that opposing defenses can key in on the pass, and that can you can make the argument that that makes it more difficult on a Kyle Trask because you don't have that complementary run game. But mm-hmm. you also don't have a guy like Najee Harris taking away. You know, uh, you know, Florida was throwing on on the goal line, you know, five yard, you know, uh, going in. Alabama was trying to punch it in with Najee Harris ninety percent of the time. So that, that's just the different, you know, different types of. Of an approach, but anyways, um, so yeah, Alabama has the 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 Heisman winner. They have the number three, the the guy who finished number three in the Heisman race. The guy who finished number five. They have the Joe Moore Award winner. Uh, plus, I mean, potentially got the return of, of Jalen Waddle, which I guess we need to look at a little bit more based off of the news that we got yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, you got the emergence of a guy like Jaleel Billingsley. This offense is just stupid good. And the Brawl is award winner with uh, Steve Sarkeesian.
0: Yes. Uh, One more Heisman note. Were you surprised that Nachi Harris got 16 first-place votes? That kind of surprised
1: me a little bit. Yeah. uh, You know what? That's a (laughs) good point.
0: I understand that these ballots were cast right after the SEC championship game, where, where Nachi Harris scored like 30 times. So... I understand that, and and there may have been a little bit of recency bias in a few of those first-place votes, but 16, like, I knew he would get first-place votes, but 16 was a pretty
1: high number for my expectations. Yeah, no, that's actually a great point. It's something I didn't really think about, but, I mean, that just tells you what Najee Harris has meant to this Alabama offense, because... To have the, the kind of performances that we've seen, not only from Mac Jones breaking Alabama records and Devontae Smith, you know, good enough to become the first receiver in SEC history to win the Heisman Trophy, and just statistically what he's been able to do, uh, to, to still have Najee Harris involved in that conversation, you truly had to have a special type of season at the running back position to, to keep yourself relevant and involved in this discussion. And not only did he finish fifth, he had, you know, several people vote for him, you know, to, to win the Heisman. So I think that that's pretty cool. Now, do you think that those two running backs for Alabama, Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry, maybe said, "We're sticking with the with the runners. We're going to go with our guy."
0: I guess that's possible.
1: <laughs> I don't know if they've revealed with who they voted for or if they will.
0: That's true. No, that, that, that's that's a good point. They're they're very well. I mean, it, <laughs> that's interesting. I, I do wonder if um, if. How many of those 16 first place votes were cast by former Heisman winners? That would be that would be interesting data to to have. Um, my my last thing on this is Ian Book got five first place votes. That's unacceptable. That is that is a level of stupidity that is just it, it's unacceptable, uh, straight up. And and there were there were 903 Heisman ballots cast this year. We probably need to cut that number to, like, at least 500 um, to eliminate riffraff like that. But if you're one of the five people that voted Ian Book first place on on the Heisman ballot, there is no justification for what you did, and you should be embarrassed for yourself. Um, I, we should probably talk Waddle, right, since everyone's talking about Waddle? Absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into the matchup of Bama and Ohio State. Later on in the episode, probably pretty quickly, because I don't know that there's a ton that can be said about Waddle at this point. But uh, first reported by AL.com, Cecil uh, confirmed since then that Waddle was expected to return to the practice field on Tuesday. And and Wednesday and Thursday are media days for the college football playoff national championship game, which uh, we haven't done yet. But we will by the time the, the podcast drops. So you'll probably see some tweets of, of players being asked or coaches being asked if Waddle did in fact practice and if he did how he looked, we don't have that, that benefit for ourselves right now as we record. I will say this. I, I think we kind of discussed in the past that if if Waddle were to play in the national championship game, it would probably be in a somewhat limited role and, and that's fine. That's, that's okay because he's the kind of person who can be used in a way that impacts the entire defense, even in a somewhat limited snap count. But this is this is the start. I, I think I said it on, on the most recent podcast, and if I, I didn't, I said it somewhere else and can't remember, so I'll say it again. We're improving from impossible to unlikely, which isn't necessarily fun
1: or exciting, but it's, it's the first step, right? Yeah, uh, and so... Sorry, I was looking something up. Did, did you bring up the fact that they're saying that he's been – because I, I did see this somewhere, but I didn't look too much into it because I want to say it was last night when I finally saw it. I was doing a lot of traveling yesterday. Um, so they, they've they said that he's been cleared, and it's now up to him if he wants to play or not, correct? Yeah, that's that's more or less the situation. So what you're saying is is now that you're on the kind of the unlikely train, you're thinking that, that Jalen Waddle's is going to – going to kind of protect his future and choose to sit out, even though he could play. Well,
0: I think it's less than that and more of everything has to go perfectly between now and, and the national championship game. Cause he's just returning to practice. So he can't step on it weird and have a minor setback here. Right. Here, there. Like everything has to be perfect for him to, to be in a position where he can impact this, this game. He can't, i mean I guess he could just go out there at like 30 percent if if he wanted to if he made that decision i guess he he could so that's that's a a good point you bring up I, I just think everything has to go perfectly he has to work his way up to at least a little bit of football shape he has to really trust his movement in every aspect of the route tree which we know in this offense is a pretty pretty intense one um he has to he has to master a bunch of football movements and he has to knock off enough rust to know that he can actually do this at a high level. Cause he's not going up against Western Carolina. He's not going up against South Carolina. He's going up against Ohio state in the national championship game. Like just having a little bit of your game is not going to be good enough here. So yeah. there's a lot that has to go right. And, and and yes, you make a good point. It is possible that, waddle decides screw it i don't care how much of myself i am right now i'm going for it because i want to and that's fine but if if he's making it a more if he's making a more i guess a less emotional decision there's a lot of things that that have to go right for him to play in the game is my point
1: that's fair that's fair um and you know I think people just assume that it's a foregone conclusion and and it's not, and I completely agree with you there. Um, and and we'll get to kind of get a better feel for where he's at and where his status is at as you know more practices start to be you know logged. How is he responding? Has he had any sort of setback? How does he look? Is he getting first team reps? Surely, you know, there's somebody that could be getting, you know, that information over the next you know few days. I'm not one of those people. Uh, The last time I was getting information from the inside that I was not supposed to be getting, I got called by the the university and told that I was not allowed to share that information anymore. Uh, And so I haven't, but surely there's somebody out there and I'll be if he's getting first team reps, you know, really at all, then I don't think you're wasting those first team reps on a guy who doesn't plan to play. Uh, and so that's what I really want to know is just, it, it, and I mean, uh, Devontae Smith, I think was just recently asked if, if Jalen Waddle was going to play and he just said no comment. So you're not going to get anything from anybody right now. Uh, that's going to be, that's going to be, be able to, you know, cause you got to think if he's playing, then Alabama probably doesn't want Ohio state to know that he's definitively playing. If he's not planning to play. Alabama probably wants Ohio State to think that he's playing. You know, it's, yeah. so you're not going to reveal too much or give it, um, you know, you can't lie and say that he hadn't returned to practice. But I know for a fact, uh, just from people that I've talked to that have played at Alabama or Nick Saban, and I know that we can't really do this this year as far as the media is concerned, but it, Nick Saban is notoriously known for, you know, during the media viewing period, having guys wear their regular – practice jerseys and then once the media you know gets cleared out after those first few minutes you put the black non-contact jerseys on on guys that you don't want the public to know are kind of a little bit banged up and don't need to be going through contact or or whatever and so that we know for a fact that's something that people kind of plan to do and and that's it's not just a nick saban thing i guarantee that happens all over the place but um So I don't know that we'll get any more information than that, but it is something worth monitoring. If he does play, even if it's in a limited capacity, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to at least, you know, be a very valuable decoy and take away some of the pressure from some of the other, you know, impactful players on this Alabama offense. So it, it, and it was like we said yesterday, even if he doesn't play, the impact can still be made just from making Ohio state prepare for it. So uh, you want to kind of, take a quick break and then maybe get to the game on the other side of it.
0: Yeah. As you can imagine, there, there are a lot of directions to go with, with this matchup. We'll get into all of them after the break. You're listening to the Bama beat podcast. And we're back on the Bama beat podcast brought to you by wickles, pickles and home field apparel. Home field apparel is collegiately is licensed collegiate apparel with unique logos that you've probably never seen printed on apparel before. Of over 100 schools on their website, of course, Alabama is one of them. 13 pieces on homefieldapparel.com. You can use the promo code BAMABEAT to get 20% off your first purchase. That applies to Alabama gear and otherwise, but I think we can reasonably assume that people who are listening to the BAMABEAT podcast will mostly be interested in uh, Alabama apparel. My dad actually, the last time my parents came up here to to see my my daughters, the the grandchildren, not me, not here to see me, here to see the the grandchildren. Obviously, that's how it works. Yeah, he was he was wearing a home field shirt. Uh, it's a it's a it's called the retro crimson tide t shirt. It's a red logo of like a wave coming out of the t shirt with a football and the word Alabama printed across it again it's called retro crimson tie t-shirt on homefieldapparel.com so go to homefieldapparel.com you can use the promo code BamaBeat to get 20 percent off your first purchase if you want to celebrate smitty winning the heisman trophy there is a uh, hoodie of a red big owl giving the heisman pose on it so there's another way to to work some Homefield apparel into your life and when i say that they have a wide variety of schools i'm talking big football playing schools that you see on TV all the time and schools that you've possibly never heard of from Purdue to UC Irvine from UCF to Slippery Rock from Auburn to let's see Franklin College from Florida State to Radford IUPUI Iowa Iowa State Virginia and Virginia Tech, wide variety of schools on homefieldapparel.com. So, should we do Bama's offense versus Ohio State's defense or Ohio State's offense versus Bama's defense? There's a lot. There's a, a lot of ways to go either
1: either way. Um, you know what? Dealer's choice. I'll, I'll let you take it because I mean, I, I th- yeah, I think that you could literally go either way with this right now.
0: Let's start with Bama's offense against Ohio State's defense, because that was something I was curious to ask Bill Rabinowitz about to to go back to the start of the podcast. We're recording this not long after I did a video uh, thing with Bill Rabinowitz of the Columbus Dispatch. And something I wanted to ask him about was Ohio State's pass defense, because it's season long numbers aren't really all that impressive like they're they're allowing 7.3 yards per attempt which is 10th in the Big Ten I think it's like ranked in the 80s somewhere nationally if you put them in the Big Ten in the context of big passing plays allowed let's see they've allowed 27 passes of 20 yards or more and only seven games which is tied for 10th. In, in the Big Ten, I had to put it on the conference level because the Big Ten played kind of a shortened season, so some of the, the national numbers can can get skewed when you're not rating it on a per-attempt or, or a per-game basis. And I was just interested in that because it doesn't look good, especially when you're playing against an explosive offensive team like Alabama, but as uh, certain sects of the fan base have beaten like a drum, Ohio State is still in the small sample size portion of, of their season, right? They can still have little things here and there that impact their season long numbers in a way that you might not see with schools like Alabama or Clemson or otherwise. So that was something I, I asked Bill Rabinowitz, and, and what I gathered from him was there was some some garbage time um, statistics in there, like a, a huge lead over Rutgers, a huge lead over Indiana, in, in two games, it ended up becoming closer than, than they um, looked on on paper because there was some passing yardage and, and big plays later in those games when they were already decided. So the season-long numbers don't look as bad for Ohio State as they actually are, but there are some weaknesses there. There was a lot of turnover in their secondary. They had high hopes for Seven Banks, which, A, fantastic name. His name is Seven banks and it's his name is spelled s-e-v-y-n seven banks there were big hopes for him as a cornerback succeeding jeff okuda and uh, underwhelming would probably be the way to put it not bad just just underwhelming there and there have been some other places on the defense that have fit the same bill so you're you're looking at an ohio state pass defense that has not met its expectation. I think it's fair to say, and you're going up against possibly the best passing attack in Alabama football history. Not necessarily a fun matchup.
1: Yeah, and and I'll go ahead and tell you. Uh, I understand where he's coming from. I've watched this Ohio State secondary quite a bit. There are some weaknesses, uh, and and he's absolutely right as far as you know. Jeff Okuda, first round pick. Damon Arnett, first round pick. Jordan Fuller been a very good safety during his rookie season uh, so far. He's with the Rams. Um, so they lost a lot of guys in the back end of their defense, and and it's kind of like Alabama at a lot of positions. Ohio State's been at that point where they don't have to rebuild; they get to reload. Um, and and it just but this particular season it hadn't come together. Sean Wade, who is supposed to be kind of their star secondary member uh, this season, he was kind of a a, a nickel. Uh, slot guy last year and performed quite well, but he's built more like a perimeter corner. They thought that he would actually improve bumping out to the perimeter, and it hadn't necessarily been that way. Um, and and you saw him get targeted quite a bit against Clemson, and I don't think he played a very good game. And and so, to me, what helped Ohio State secondary uh, against Clemson, even though you know when you actually look at the numbers, um, Trevor Lawrence threw for. You know, 400 yards and a couple touchdowns, but I feel like you know, it was because they kept having to put their foot on the gas. But against this Clemson offense, what makes it a little bit different is their Ohio State's defensive front was able to control Clemson's offensive line. They've been good against the run all year. They continued uh, to be good against the run in this game. I mean, tr- uh, Travis Etienne only had 32 yards rushing, averaged 3.2 yards per attempt, um, so they just, there was not a whole lot of success there for Clemson's run game. And of course, you know, Clemson got down early, so that's going to make them throw the ball a lot more. That's why Trevor Lawrence almost threw, you know, had 50 attempts against Ohio state's defense, but they, they limited Clemson's, uh, run success early. They put more pressure on Trevor Lawrence and then they had a defensive front that was good enough against a very mediocre Clemson offensive line to take advantage. And what's the number one way to take tons of pressure off your secondary is to get after the quarterback, make him get the make him uncomfortable, make him get the ball out faster than he wants to do. And so uh, against Alabama's offensive line, I think that Alabama's passing game is going to put a lot more pressure on Ohio State's defense because they're not going to have that advantage to the same degree. Now, I'll say this. This is where I think that the Chris Owens being in there for Landon Dickerson could make a a pretty significant impact because in pass protection, especially uh, watching that Notre Dame game, I feel like Chris Owens was somewhat of a liability, but Notre Dame just didn't do a whole lot to take advantage of it. I think Ohio State, with their interior pressure, has a little bit more that they can do um, to cause, you know, Mac Jones a little bit of problems, you know, from the inside out. And maybe have to get him on the move a little bit. But we'll just have to see. Maybe it was just uh, Chris was getting back uh, used to to being in the starting lineup and maybe he'll be able to fare a little bit better in this particular matchup. But uh, if, if Alabama's offensive line can do against Ohio State's defensive line what I think that it can um, this I don't feel like this secondary is, is going to be able to have a whole lot of success against Alabama's passing game. And that's especially going to hold true if Jalen Waddle was back in the lineup because that's just another guy that you've got to take into account. You can't necessarily bracket or double team. You might still try to a little bit with Devontae Smith, but if Waddle is even remotely – healthy and and dynamic like he has been in the past there he's going to torch you because he's been you know even this year when he was in the lineup i would say that he was getting every bit as much of attention as Devonte smith was and and so to if you're trying to give Devonte Smith the attention they deserves you got uh Mechie you got Billingsley you potentially have Waddle you have Najee Harris out of the backfield Ohio State does not have this type of secondary where you can just leave any one particular guy on an island uh, everybody thought like I said that would be Sean Wade it has not been him you don't want to do that they might be forced to but they it's I don't think that's going to bode very well for them so that's kind of how um I view Alabama's, you know, uh, offense going against Ohio State's defense. Uh, I, I think that even though uh, um, Ohio State looked fairly good against Clemson as far as creating some turnovers and, and causing Trevor Lawrence some some problems, I just don't think this is a v- much different matchup. And I'll say this, it was very interesting going back to watch that Clemson-Ohio State game because, you know, what everybody said about Clemson and, um, and Brent Venables and being able to you know, still signs, you know, there's what he was being accused of, which is legal, by the way. I want to always continue to reiterate that. But um, it it was interesting because Ohio State countered that by going huddle and not allowing them to still play uh, signs. But on the flip side, it seemed like that Ohio State knew everything that Clemson was doing. Uh, It was either just incredible film study, which I do think with the way that Ohio State wanted to win this football game, I would not be surprised if it was just purely film study and they, you know, the defense dove in. Justin Fields has already come out and said, I've never prepared for a game like I prepared for that game. Um, And and so I wouldn't be surprised if other guys were doing something similar. But it just there was a lot of things that Clemson likes to do with speed options and different things that they were not able to have that kind of success against uh, Ohio State's defense because they just they knew it was coming. Um, and so I, I think that with the way that – now, granted, to be fair to Clemson as well, you also don't have your offensive play caller and Tony Elliott, uh, which I think does affect things. But with the way that, that Steve Sarkeesian calls games and is very – keeps defenses on their heels, I don't think – it's going to be a much more difficult game plan or team to prepare for for Ohio State than Clemson was, even though Clemson has a ton of talent um, you know, offensively as well. I just don't think they have the offensive line. Like Alabama, they didn't really attack Notre Dame vertically uh, very much because I don't think that they had to, and I think that they knew that. And I think that in comparison to a Clemson, you're going to see a lot more being pushed vertically uh, because Alabama is more confident in their offensive line to let those routes develop downfield than Clemson was in their offensive line. And so those are some of the key differences between you know what Ohio State's going to be facing with Alabama's offense compared to Clemson's offense.
0: All, all good points made there. That being the case, is there anything else on the Bama offense versus uh, Ohio State defense side that, that entices you? Like the, in talking with Bill this this morning, like there there are some pass rushers at Ohio State, but I don't know that not any of them have put the fear of God in anybody this year. Like they've been fine, they've been productive, but nothing that. Um, stands out to a,
1: to a huge degree yet? No, I mean, um, you know, you'll have the standard stuff. I do think Alabama, um, you know, it just like I said, that watching the film, I felt like that Ohio State's pass rush just looked a lot better than it actually is. Not saying that's not good, but it looked really good um, putting pressure on Trevor Lawrence in that game. But I think that was a lot, much more reflection of, Clemson having the most vulnerable and exploitable offensive line of any team in the college football playoff. Now, granted, I also still think that that Notre Dame has a better offensive line than Ohio State across the board, uh, you know, and, and that was kind of reflected in, in the, the Joe Moore Award, um, you know, standings, I guess you'd say. But it just – I think that th- this is a mismatch that could cause – Ohio State's defense a lot more issues because, you know, that, that was the big thing that we've seen in some of these other games from Ohio State is it was kind of like an Alabama defense there for a while, which you still see sometimes. It's kind of like Florida's or LSU's. It's like all these elite defenses, the defenses that we're used to seeing be elite uh, have not been elite and have been a lot more exploitable. And it's not just from a stats perspective. Uh, stats do reflect it to some degree, but he's absolutely right. There have been times where, the um, the numbers were skewed a little bit because of some of that garbage time stuff. But at the same time, when you're watching, when, when the, the snaps still matter, you're watching the Ohio State secondary not be as, you know, cohesive or as impactful as we have seen in the past and you also on top of that don't have this, you know, dominant pass rusher, you know like a Chase Young or a Nick Bosa or a Joey Bosa. Something that Ohio State has always had is just this one guy that can be a complete game wrecker along your defensive front. And when you combine not having that type of guy on top of a secondary that is that's not quite to the same degree or, or um, that we've seen from Ohio State secondary in the past, that's a kind of a poor combination. Not to a point where this is a bad Ohio State defense. It's just not to the same degree uh, as some of these others that we've seen in the past.
0: Flipping it over to Alabama's defense against Ohio State's offense. The, the, the Justin Fields rib injury is going to be the topic of conversation up to and through this game. I think it matters more for Ohio State's offense as a runner than it does as a passer because Fields is a big part of their, their running game. And, yes, Trey Sermon is just popping off right now. Um, so so that, that helps that you can rely on him more and not necessarily have to lean on Fields as a runner as you might otherwise. But I think that's a big part of things because, as, as we've seen time in and time out, Alabama hasn't quite figured out how to cover a tight end this year. And, and Ohio State has Jeremy Ruckert who has a very interesting season going so far. He only has 12 catches on the year. Five of them are for touchdowns. He had three catches in the semifinal, two of them. For touchdowns. So when they do go to the tight end, they're they're kind of lethal with it in from a from a scoring perspective. And if if Ohio State is able to run the football and they're able to use their tight ends in the run game, which they do just by default, that, that forces Alabama to do different things with their safeties to kind of gum up the works and in, in the run game, which could open windows of opportunity for someone like Jeremy Rucker to sneak through the cracks, have a couple of touchdowns in this game that that very well could be the difference. Um, And you're already having to deal with Garrett Wilson and and Chris Olave, two guys who have are in the midst of 650 yard receiving seasons. And Olave just had a huge game in the, in the semifinals. So you're already having to deal with that and a, a run game that is very prominent for, for Ohio state and they do so in a bunch of different ways. So if, Fields and Ohio State in general are able to run the ball a little bit. I think that'll uh, change things, not only because that's a big part of their offensive identity that they continue to have access to, but it will increase Ohio State's ability to expose a proven weakness of this year's defense.
1: That's a great point. And, you know, I don't because of what's been you know, happened to Justin Fields with the rib injury, it, you know, you're, it's going to limit what Ohio State likes to do. They're not going to run him on design quarterback runs nearly as much. Now, when you've got a guy who's rushed for, you know, close to 500 yards, uh, well, 550 yards in just the last two games alone, uh, you know, that that's going to take a lot of pressure off of him. And I do think that Trey Sermon is going to be a very important part uh, – you're know, a very important factor for how this game ends up turning out because if they can't get him going that is what they've kind of built their offense around in, in a lot of ways now Justin Fields throwing for close to 400 yards and six touchdowns even with that injury extremely impressive i just feel like with when you, when it's that initial adrenaline when it kind of starts to to die down a little bit and you've kind of had to sit on that injury for several days, I feel like it gets worse. And it'll be much tougher to get that adrenaline factor back up there uh, than it was you know, when you're kind of already in the midst of it and, and you suffer an injury. So maybe Justin Fields, I'm not saying that he's not going to be impactful. Uh, I, I don't know what his health status is. I couldn't really tell you. And none of us are really going to know either uh, how much he's hindered or you know, they, they might actually want him to, you know, be underestimated going into this game as far as what he's going to be able to do. And then he can end up surprising some people. Uh, But what I do will say about looking at this Alabama defense, and what I'm trying to do is is compare it to a Clemson, because from a talent standpoint, there's not a whole lot that you can take away from the, the opponents that Ohio State has played during the regular season or in the the Big Ten Championship. Now, granted, Northwestern's got a very good defense. So you can maybe go and, and take some things away there, but they're just they're they're a very rally defense. They they don't have the same caliber of talent as a Clemson or an Alabama. So how Northwestern won is you know you, you'll probably have to win in a little bit of, of a different way because you just scheme things a lot differently than they do and what they how they expect to have success. But when when Watching Clemson, the the issue that I think Clemson had is they don't have the the caliber of players in the secondary, the rangy, the same rangy safeties or the same corners like a like a Tan that can kind of be not necessarily left on an island, but you can. I'll t- I'll put it to you this way: Clemson was not able to run man defense consistently against Ohio state because they were getting torched by doing it. I think Alabama will be able to run that effectively enough to limit what Ohio state's doing. And by doing that, that's going to open up the possibilities for a lot of other things. So I think that's something to keep an eye on, but you're right that when you're looking at, um, you know, an an Ohio state offense, Notre Dame, Kyron Williams, good running back in book, kind of a, you know, um, is he this prolific passer, or this incredible quarterback? No, but his ability to escape pressure and extend plays and do all these things that is tough to defend. And I talked about it yesterday. I feel like Justin Fields, in comparison to that, he's not that kind of quarterback. So I, I you know, we'll see what kind of success Alabama has. I'll get to that in a second. But just having the the, the triangle there of Trey Sermon. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson as your two receivers plus, you know, with Jeremy Rucker that you were just talking about at tight end, you got that triangle plus another factor with a tight end that makes it to where Alabama can't, you know, they, they can't take the bill Belichick approach and just say, we're going to take away, you know, your top option. They have enough options to where you got to count for a lot of different guys, not to the same degree as Alabama, but you know, enough there. Um, and, so that's another important piece. Um, so, it, in your, do you have an X factor for for this game or for this particular matchup, Alabama's defense against Ohio State's offense?
0: Ooh, um, probably your safety the tandem or trio, depending on um, your your terminology. Um, uh, Jordan Battle, Daniel Wright, Demarco Hellums, Malachi Moore, Brian Branch, whatever the combo is there, depending on Malachi Moore's health, and then uh, and, and then whether it's going to be Demarco or Daniel Wright at, at deep safety alongside Battle, probably those guys, because as, as we mentioned, Ohio State is is one that favors running the football, um, so so you're going to need some of those guys to come up and run support, which Jordan Battle's been pretty good at lately but there's also going to be times where you're you're asked to either help on Olave and and Wilson especially when they line up on the same side of the formation which they do sometimes and with Jeremy Rucker the the tight end i think those guys are going to be pretty pretty crucial because alabama's defensive line has improved to a point that you think they can at least hold their own against this ohio state offensive line especially if they still have covid issues on uh, at that position group, and they have to do it without possibly one starter or more. Um, and, and the the linebacker play is what it is, good, bad, or indifferent. But I think the 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 safeties are are big there because they're they're going to be they're they're going to be called upon in a lot of ways based on this Ohio State offense. The way they run their offense, both in play calling and formationally, and just basic ideology, puts those guys in in stressful. Situations, how they react to that is is probably going to determine how much success they have.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And it's to me the most important part. I think, like I said, I feel like Alabama is going to be able to run a lot more man coverage than Clemson did, um, and have more success doing it. But I also think that, you know, the the, the combination of Christian Barmore and Will Anderson Jr. As far as the the pressure that they were able to put on Ian Book last week, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, that you know I feel like that with where Justin Fields is at, not just from the rib, rib injury perspective, but just him as a quarterback, he he's a an elusive guy. He can't escape pressure, but he doesn't have that kind of pocket savviness. You know, it, it feels like you know Tua kind of had it. Joe Burrow definitely had it. Uh, you know, a Tony Romo, even though he wasn't a guy that was going to take off and run a lot, he was incredible at Just under you know, have this great pocket awareness and being able to elude pressure within it, just a, a quick shoulder turn and, and being able to escape and doing those things. Justin Fields is a very dynamic player or runner at the position, but I don't even think that he's quite on Ian Books' level as far as be, being able to evade pressure within the pocket and, and doing some of those things. So, just that factor involved plus the rib injury, um, I feel like that. Uh, that, that Christian Barmore and Will Anderson Jr. are going to have the ability to actually finish a lot more of these plays that we saw from them against uh, Notre Dame. Because uh, Notre Dame's offensive line, there were times where it's like Ian Book has all day. And, and it, Alabama got better at it. it creating pressure by doing some twist and different things to to get creative and, and put pressure on him, which is great. But I think Alabama won't have to do that kind of stuff nearly as much. And when you actually are putting pressure on Justin Fields, I think that those guys are going to be able to finish more. And what that's going to do is it's just like on the other side. If you're you know we were talking about the the combination of Ohio State not having this dominant pass rush on top of having you know, a more exploitable secondary than they've had in the past, and how that's a bad combination. You got Alabama's secondary that, you know, from a corner perspective, should be able to hold their own enough, not saying that they won't allow any big plays or anything like that. just I feel like they can win enough battles on the perimeter against their receivers that um, that on top of of uh, Alabama being able to should be able to put, a lot more pressure on Justin Fields should create a nice little combination there to give them some success. But the tight end play, because it's not just Ruckert, it's also Luke Farrell. He's another good tight end. That's going to be – I feel like that's going to be an area that Ohio State's really going to try to exploit because those are quick developing routes. You're not you – know, you might – you'll see some seam, them attack the seams a little bit with the tight ends, but it's more so – you know, I could totally see those two guys being heavily targeted Getting the ball out of Justin Fields' you know hands if he does have that rib, rib injury and then kind of taking it from there. So um, I know that, that the way that I've kind of painted this, it's very pro Alabama. I do think that Alabama matches up extremely well against Ohio State uh, in the past. You know, it, Alabama has really struggled against dual threat quarterbacks. Justin Fields is one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the country if he didn't have that rib injury and they were able to use him on design quarterback runs, I think that this would be a lot more of a dangerous Ohio state, uh, offense. But with the way that I view things right now, looking at it, it, it seems like it, it, favors Alabama, but Ohio state, the, the, it, it's very tough to know if the game that we got against Clemson is just how good this team is, or was the motivational factor and the fact that they were so hell bent on, on not allowing, Clemson to beat them again and the comments from Dabo Sweeney and the fact that Clemson didn't have the offensive coordinator uh, and the fact that they were able to huddle up and kind of take Brent Venables out of the equation and not allow him to do what he does best, which is, you know, playing off of knowing what's coming. Uh, I think just that combination of factors made Ohio state look a lot better than they really are. Not saying that they're not good, but, I still question and it's why I've continued to reiterate, there's a part of me that would almost have rather have played Ohio State still than Clemson if I was Alabama, even though, you know, um I've I've quickly realized Alabama would have matched up pretty well against Clemson too. So that's my thoughts on it. Long winded way of doing that. You got anything else?
0: I thought Hunter had a good take on on that subject where you're you're pretty confident just based on the build of the three teams involved that the national title game was going to be a shootout of some kind. So you would probably prefer that uh, Justin Fields be the quarterback on the other side as opposed to Trevor Lawrence. I mm, thought that was a yeah. pretty good take. Like, and it's not intended to to diss or disrespect Justin Fields. It's just reality. Like we've we've seen um, we've seen what he can be. Um and Justin Fields good quarterback we haven't seen him do something like Trevor Lawrence has on a big stage so right I thought that was a good take from from Hunter um quickly flip around the X factor conversation to the other side Bama's offense versus Ohio State's defense give me your thought on that and then I'll do the record book update
1: Okay um let's see for me it's probably Oof, there's there's so many different ways that Alabama can attack you, but I think that X factor not from the from the standpoint of being the most impactful player, but the X factor is who's going to make the biggest difference. And I think for me, how Chris Owens plays could make a huge difference in this game. Uh, if he struggles in pass protection and allows Ohio State to have a lot of interior pressure. Make Mac Jones uncomfortable. Have to get outside the pocket and and some of those different things that could be a potential issue for Alabama. If he can hold up, you know, he, he's surrounded by four guys who are Joe Moore award winning offensive linemen, and he's got tons of experience. So they can just hold up enough there to 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 make that a a solid performance for the offensive line. You're gonna I'll be you're gonna allow Mac Jones and and Steve Sarkisian. To have you know full access to the playbook, take advantage of a lot of different guys. It's kind of hard to pinpoint that one guy that's going to be an X factor when you have so many different options, uh, both at running back, receiver, and now even at tight end. So I think Chris Owen's probably for me is is the most important piece of this, but uh, that there's going to be a lot of guys who make a huge impact.
0: Okay, let's do the uh, let's do the record book update before we. Get out of here because next time we podcast together, the the national championship will be awarded. It's kind of weird that we're finally here in in this uh, strangest college football season that any of us has ever experienced. Let's start with Najee Harris. He is there. There's kind of a, a gap for him as he tries to move up the career rushing yards list. 109 yards would get him to a tie for 12th, but he would need 164 yards to get to a tie for 11th. Again, this is in SEC career rushing yards. So a, a solid game would would get Najee up to 12th in SEC history in career rushing yards. It would take something pretty electrifying to get up to 11th or higher than that. Um, touchdowns. He can work his way into the top three in SEC career rushing touchdowns with three actually two would get him a tie for third and three would get him into the top three by himself in SEC career rushing touchdowns he could also get some receiving touchdowns in there and work his way up in total touchdowns he's three touchdowns behind Tim Tebow's SEC record for total touchdowns so some receiving touchdowns for for Najee would help him in that regard, in total touchdowns, so rushing and receiving three to tie the record SEC career record four to break it for Mac Jones. Uh, as you can imagine, the the Joe Burrow season last year kind of makes the the SEC career um, SEC, sorry, single season passing yards record tough to attain, but he can get to second with 240 passing yards. So that feels that feels like a, a borderline guarantee. Um for Mac, there, he can work his way into the top five in SEC history in single season passing touchdowns with three. He would become tied for fifth in SEC history in single season passing touchdowns with three, uh, would get to a tied for four with four passing touchdowns. And now for Devontae Smith, very likely to make some some pretty significant history with his first touch of, of the game. He needs 10 yards to break the SEC record for career receiving yards. And when he does that, he will be, he will be the school record. He will be the record holder in school career rush receiving yards, SEC career receiving yards, school, single season receiving yards. And actually, no, that's not true. He'll get there with, so let me, let me backtrack with 10 yards. He'll be the record holder for school career receiving yards and SEC career receiving yards. He is 87 yards away from breaking the school record for single season receiving yards. So a 100-yard game gets him school car- school career receiving yards, SEC career receiving yards, and school single season receiving yards. He does all of that with just 87 Receiving yards. If he gets up to 140 receiving yards, he will claim the SEC record for single season receiving yards. So I guess the the yardage number to know for Smitty is 140. If he gets there in the national title game, he will own school and SEC records for career receiving yards and single season receiving yards. Just r- ridiculous. Um, five catches would tie the school record for career receptions. Uh, as you can imagine, held by by Amari Cooper, so there's there's one to watch. Let's see if with one touchdown he will set a new SEC record for single season receiving touchdowns. With two, he will get into the top five in NCAA history in both single season receiving touchdowns and career receiving touchdowns. So his first touchdown will will more or less conclude his climb up the school and sec list. And we'll be looking exclusively at NCAA lists from, from that point forward. So that's what you're, that's what you're looking at from a record
1: book perspective in this one. Insane. Um, just, and I'll be looking forward to seeing how all these individual awards kind of start to shake out because just based off what we've already seen, it has been pretty incredible that, you know, what Alabama has been able to achieve, uh, especially offensively this year. That's pretty cool. So, Brett, as always, appreciate you taking some time out of your day to hop on here with me. Uh, we'll be doing a, a national championship uh, recap uh, probably on Tuesday, I guess, considering the games on Monday night are it's supposed to be, if all goes according to plan. And we'll kind of take it from there. So, always appreciate you hopping on here with me. This has been the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel.